Special Rapporteur David Johnston told Canadians a public inquiry into foreign interference is not needed, but public hearings should be held. Uh, Mr. Johnston's initial report uh, looked into foreign interference allegations against China, including election meddling during the last two federal uh, campaigns. Now, Mr. Johnston found serious shortcomings in how intelligence from security agencies was communicated to government, but he didn't identify any instances where the Prime Minister negligently failed to act on intelligence uh, advice. Now, Mr. Johnson says a public inquiry, long called for by the opposition parties, could not be undertaken in public because of the sensitivity of the intelligence and formal subpoena powers are not required for him to hold his own hearings uh, with uh, Canadians, academics, political stakeholders, and of course, diaspora communities. Take a listen to what Mr. Johnson had to say. I recommend the Prime Minister invite the two oversight committees on national security, NSICOP and INSIRA, to review my conclusions and provide them with all supporting materials, including an annex which contains the classified information. If they disagree with my conclusions, they should say that. What has allowed me to determine whether there has in fact been interference cannot be disclosed publicly. A public review of classified intelligence simply cannot be done. Now, you could imagine opposition conservative leader Pierre Polyev immediately slammed uh, Mr. Johnson's recommendation, saying that it covers up Beijing's influence here in Canada. Take a listen. Well, conservatives are not buying it. We need a full public inquiry to get to the bottom of Beijing's interference in our democracy. And that's what I will deliver when I am prime minister. There will be a full public inquiry into this mess. Now, uh, Mr. Polyev uh, once again alleged that Mr. Johnson was compromised because he has family ties with Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, Mr. Johnson's work is expected to continue through the end of October when he's due to present a final report to government. So lots to talk about here. Uh, joining me now is Nathan Vanderclip. He's an international correspondent with The Globe and Mail and a former Beijing bureau chief for The Globe uh, as well. Nathan, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, were you surprised by the uh, recommendation? I, I was, and I, th- I think many people were. I think uh, given the scale and seriousness of some of the things that we've come to understand in the last few months, given what seemed to be the near uniform desire for some form of public inquiry among the public at the very least, it, it seemed as if this was um, was where we we're going to go. I mean, David Johnston himself said he went into this saying that he was leaning in that direction, but that's clearly not how he's come down today. My sense of it is that we've missed a moment here uh, that it allowed us to pivot in regards to our, our uh, uh, in regards to foreign affairs and how we speak to p- the Asia Pacific, uh, in regards to how our agencies deal with uh, our, our security agencies deal with elected officials and how government views the world in 2023. It almost seems like there's a missed mark here. Whether you agree with what China's doing or not, or or believe what China's doing, at the end of the day, it does allow us to have a thorough conversation as Canadians, to say, where are we today and where are we headed? Well, it feels to me like there's there's two major questions here. You know, one is, you know, how much can we trust the current government uh, to deal with foreign interference based on what has already happened? And the other is, how can we as a country act against foreign interference? And I think what David Johnson is trying to say is that we can't in public, given security issues and all the rest, discuss the first one. So let's move on and let's start to talk about 
how what we can do uh, in, in response, how, how we can act as a country. But the, the problem is I don't think those two questions are separate because the, the question of acting in the future against foreign interference comes down to a question of public trust. And, and I think you establish public trust by having accountability. And so and that's accountability, not just for the sitting government, but also for Mr. Johnson himself. And, and I think by, by cutting off this public inquiry, I think it, it, it complicates the task of coming to some sort of solutions in the future because people just aren't going to find them credible. Mm-hmm. Um, what does this mean for the liberals? Do you do you think we're still? I mean, if if they if this coalition holds, it's we won't have a a, a federal election till twenty twenty five. What do you think it means for the for the present government? I mean, these things are hard to say. I, I think the old truism is that uh, elections aren't fought on foreign affairs. And that has proven to be true time and time again. Does this rise to the level of something that would actually change the way people cast their ballots? I don't know. Um, but, uh, it, you know, in, in the past, uh, that's not been something that, that has been a real motivator at the ballot box. Now, is this the sort of thing that causes the NDP to say, you know, let's go to the ballot boxes uh, with the possibility that that uh, creates an improved standing for the Conservatives. I mean, that, that's something that the NDP is going to have to look at very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any lessons to be learned from Australia, the UK, and some of our uh, allies in regards to how they have tackled this issue? I mean, the obvious one is the foreign agent registry, right? And that's, that's mm-hmm. something that's been discussed here for, for, for a number of years. That's something that Australia has brought in. I, th- I think there is another element of this that might be worth looking at, too, which is that Australia has taken some actions that were um, primarily directed against their concerns about Chinese influence there. Those actions caused quite a hostile response from Beijing. But there was, And I think that sort of response is the sort of thing that we have uh, had fear of from Ottawa, from our own government. There's been, there's been a fear to sort of uh, create trade sanctions against Canadian companies and the like. Um, but Australia has also shown in the last in the last number of months that the Australian trade minister was in China, and 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 that that relationship, from an economic perspective, anyways, is, is recovering. So th- those sorts of things, that, that that punishment that I think is much feared, often doesn't last terribly long. Mm-hmm. And and that's the the thing that I have great difficulty with. I mean, Australia did get pushback, but they fundamentally drew a line in the sand, or certainly my sense of it sitting here in Canada, drew a line in the sand and saying, this this will not happen. This is who we are. This is what we represent. And we will not tolerate a your influence or your attempt at influencing uh, our, our uh, domestic politics, threatening of our citizens. Uh, I, I'm still having difficulties understanding why we collectively as Canadians can't push back as aggressively as the Australians have. This, this, I think, is one of these questions that doesn't seem to have a, a clear answer, in, in, and especially, I think, because what we have seen disclosed in Canada in the last few months is, is of an order of magnitude more detailed um, and, and more insightful in terms of the scale and reach of Chinese efforts to interfere in Canadian democracy. Um, there were a number of instances that were of concern in Australia, but nothing compared to what we've what we've learned here in the last few months, and and yet we have not seen the same sort of uh, response here. Even getting past the elections, just for a moment, uh, in, in the allegations of elected election interference last uh, uh, two election cycles. I mean, I look at uh, to me in some ways that's important, but what's just as important is 
when you look at critical minerals, and we're going to be focusing on that issue tomorrow on this show, you know, what is the, uh, what kind of ability do foreign nationals or foreign companies have to buy into our mining industry, number one? What is the uh, conversation we should be having when it comes to joint research projects with our major universities when it comes to science and technology with China? I think those opportunities, that conversation is also lost, never mind just the political uh, conversation. In many ways, the ability to, for, for foreign companies foreign companies to invest in our natural resources or the ability to share valuable, valuable science and technology research is even more important when you look at the 21st century. And and, and again, I mean, on the university issue in particular, this is an area where we have seen uncharacteristically Canada's intelligence services speaking publicly about their concerns over the last number of years and, and sort of having open dialogues with universities about their concerns, about the areas in which uh, there were the troubling possibility of, of Canadian uh, research being used by the Chinese state, in some case being uh, co-developed with researchers from China who are actually members of Chinese military research institutions who are coming to Canada using different cover names of, 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 those, of those institutions. And, and yet, you know, the, the, the response to that has been slow as well. It, it's it's it really is amazing that it wasn't too long ago we were having a conversation whether or not our 5G infrastructure in this country uh, should be built in, in conjunction with uh, Huawei. So there's a lot to still discuss, certainly, in and around this conversation. Nathan, as always, thank you so much. You're very welcome.